of baptism. Okay, please rise for the reading of God's word. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We are going through 2 Corinthians chapter by chapter, verse by verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Anyone need a Bible? If you do, please raise your hand. Second Corinthians chapter 10. This is Paul by the Holy Spirit. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked According to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning for uh, you just to do a work in our hearts. Give us a hope, a vision, a calling, Lord, that is consistent with your word, Lord. Uh, Show us in our hearts, Lord, what a great adventure it is to be in Christ, following you, following in your footsteps, Lord Jesus. I pray this in, in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So in Titus chapter 3 verse 5, the Apostle Paul, again, by the Holy Spirit, declares, describing uh, what happens or how a man or woman is brought into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. He says this in uh, Titus 3 5, he says, not by works of righteousness that we have done are we saved, but by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The first thing that happens when a man or woman gives their heart and life to Jesus Christ is they receive a washing. Jesus says, I'm happy you're here. Now the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a major scrubbing, a major washing. He gives us a washing, what Titus calls a washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now, a number of things happen as a result of this Holy Spirit bath. First, once the bath is complete, a man, a woman, a child is presented holy and blameless and pure, the Bible says, uh, before the Father, cloaked in the righteousness of Christ spiritually fit, qualified to spend eternity in heaven. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says that we become holy, blameless before him as a result of this Holy Spirit bath. A second thing happens as a result of this Holy Spirit bath, this washing of regeneration and renewing of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit as, as Paul says in Titus. A second thing that happened is the, a veil of unbelief a veil of unbelief and ignorance that covers the hearts and minds of every man and woman apart from Christ is removed. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes that before a person uh, comes to know Jesus, their hearts and minds are covered with a veil of ignorance and unbelief. You and I, about as much we know about veils is what we see on a TV or perhaps in person in the Middle East. And actually we have uh, some folks here in Boston, uh, women here in Boston, who have a veil uh, over their face, a, p- a piece of cloth that covers. And the Bible says that Jesus removes the, a veil when he gives a man or woman uh, that Holy Spirit bath at the time of their salvation. Second Corinthians 3.14 says, and I quote here, the veil is taken away in Christ. Verse 16 says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, when this veil is taken away, a man or woman or child starts seeing the world very differently. They start seeing the world and life and the people around them very differently. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 3 says, But we with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So all of a sudden, or over time, uh, we're able to see, we become aware of all kinds of wondrous things. Wondrous things uh, concerning the Lord. In, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit gave, came upon the disciples and they got a Holy Spirit bath, it says they declared the wonderful works of God. All of a sudden, their eyes, the eyes of their heart were enlightened as to how just wonderful, how, how awesome, how, how grand, grandiose the Lord is, that, that God has freed them from the bondage of sin, that uh, uh, he has, God has a good and perfect plan for their lives, that there's meaning to life, uh, that he's good, he's forgiving, he's full of loving kindness, he's full of tender mercies. So with the veil removed, they open the word of God and they see a whole new world there that they had never seen or understood before. They see the church, the body of Christ, in a whole new light. They see what a wondrous, glorious thing when, when God removes the veil, that the veil of unbelief and ignorance. What, what, a wonderful, uh, uh, what a wonderful life that they can have in Christ. But there is something else that a man or woman or a child who's had this veil removed can see. And it is what the Bible calls strongholds. Strongholds of evil. With the spiritual eyes that they now see with, now the veil of uh, unbelief and ignorance is uh, removed, they're able to see strongholds of darkness that grip the hearts of men and women and even nations. Strongholds that hold men and women captive. So 2 Corinthians 10, 4, Paul refers to the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down what? 
strongholds. Strongholds. So the context here is this. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. There are some people in the church who have been coming against him and the word of God. And Paul is talking about how he intends to deal with these people and their arguments. He's not going to do it in the way that men usually do. And and so he's talking here. He's he's not going to come against them the way the world does. He's going to come against them the way that Jesus Christ does. And so... In writing these, just these few verses, and we're actually, um, I'm actually going to spend a, a, a couple, two or three weeks on these verses, he's given us remarkable insight into the life of a believer in Jesus. And he's giving us remarkable insight into the, the, the power and the adventure and the glory that a man or woman has in Christ. Verse 4, uh, uh, verse 3 again. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So Paul here is giving us a, les- a lesson that in the year 2008, we cannot miss. We cannot miss this lesson. This is so important. Of how we, you, I, can and should and have, uh, have an obligation to and have been called to, to come against, oppose, evil and darkness and strongholds that are bringing so much misery and grief to our country, our families, our neighborhoods, our schools. We were not called to just become fat, happy, and rich as Americans. We have been called to forsake everything, take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow Jesus. Now the word strongholds here is a reference to, it's a specific, very deliberate reference on the part of Jesus. It's a reference to the fortified cities, the strongholds, the fortresses that you read about in the Old Testament. Fortified fortresses in the Middle East surrounded the, the cities were surrounded with stone walls. They were very high, very thick. Scholars tell you that these walls could be from anywhere from 30 to 100 feet uh, high, sometimes actually much more than that. I mean, that's pretty high when you consider they had, didn't have the technology. They didn't have cranes like we do. I mean, 40, 40 feet high is about a four-story house, right? 100 feet, you can only imagine and some of these uh, walls were 30 to 100 feet thick. And on top of, the, uh, of these walls were watchtowers. There were platforms for military men to defend the city. And the city of Nineveh, and you remember Nineveh, that's where Jonah went and preached one of the shortest and certainly the most effective sermons in the history of the world, just like eight, wor- eight words. He went in there, he says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. 
and the entire city repented. Who, who says I need to bore you with long sermons? I mean, eight words is what he said. And, and the, the entire city repented. But anyway, Nineveh's walls were so wide that chariots could go side by side and ride around the city. So in a word, these cities were strongholds. People, I mean, you can only imagine approaching them. I mean, you look at them and you, 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 just one or two words would come to your mind. Impenetrable. Indestructible. Their walls and, and defenses of these strongholds were just so massive, so foreboding. And, 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 and you know, what's the point of even attacking them? They're just too high, too wide, too, too, too thick. So a fortress, a fortified city, a stronghold, that's the word Paul is referring to in verse 5, uh, verse 4 rather, of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Except, of course, he's not referring to physical strongholds. He's referring to strongholds of what? Of darkness of pride, of greed, of evil, of darkness. Strongholds that appear to anyone looking at them to be impenetrable, indestructible. The Word of God does teach that sin can become a stronghold in a person's life. Pride, lust, racism, greed, covetousness, the desire for more, more, more. Bitterness, unforgiveness, bigotry. A man or woman can have any number of strongholds of sin in their life. And, and you, look at, uh, you look at them, you counsel them, you talk to them, and man, it looks like a fortified city. I mean, people uh, come in here for counseling from time to time, and, and they go through their story, their story of just making one bad choice after another, after another, after another, and just all the, the, the misery and the grief and the tragedy that followed. And, 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 you, you're look, and you look, and, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, I have a stronghold, a fortified city right in front of me. It looks impenetrable. It looks indestructible, the sin, this bondage that they have in their life. But strongholds don't just exist at the individual level. The Bible teaches that they can, there can be a stronghold of sin, of evil, of darkness over an entire segment of society a city, a population, even a nation. And we see these in our country today. The stronghold of humanism and evolutionary thinking. You know, verse 5 here in uh, 2 Corinthians 10 refers to strongholds that are Arguments and high things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Well, if anything ever fit that description, it is the humanism and evolutionary thinking that our universities here in Boston are literally pumping out to the entire world. 
And it's captured the hearts and minds of millions in this country. The teaching that man was not created by God. That he is a a product of uh, evolution. A process that uh, started billions of years ago when somehow by a series of accidents and chance occurrences, somehow inanimate matter, suddenly somewhere, suddenly it just somehow evolved into a living thing. And so therefore, there's no such thing as God. There's no such thing as absolute truth. There's no such thing as right or wrong. No such, certainly no such thing as life after death. And so this belief system has become a stronghold in the life of this country, certainly of this city. And you look at it, and you're like, wow. This is a strong, strong, fortified city. This thing looks impenetrable. This thing looks indestructible. I mean, you're talking 50-foot-high stone walls, 30-foot deep, (laughs) with chariots running around on top of it, watchtowers all around it. And anyone anyone actually who comes against this fortress, uh, you know, out of the watchtowers become become attacks. Uh, People will get vilified, slandered, ridiculed, pounced on, boiling oil poured over their head. If they dare attack this fortress. Now, if you haven't seen the movie that just came out, Expelled, produced by Ben Stein, please, right after the service, get in your car. Break the speed limit. No, no, don't do that. Just but you go as fast as you can and go get it. Go get this DVD and pass it out to as many people as you can, of course, after seeing it. Uh, this movie that was produced by Ben Stein, not a Christian, he's, a, he's, a, he's Jewish, but he exposes all of this, how men and women in the media and in the scientific and academic community who dare to question this thinking uh, uh, about evolution, their entire career and livelihood was trashed, even though the theory has enormous fundamental scientific flaws in it. One of the most fascinating scenes I've ever seen on any movie or any kind of media for my, in my entire life. He interviews this gentleman by the name of Richard Dawkins, who is the number one, by far, international spokesman for evolutionary thinking. He is the darling of the sort of evolutionary thinking community. And he's interviewing this guy, and he he asks him, well, how, how is it possible? How can life evolve from death, from inanimate, inanimate matter? How can you take matter that has no life and have that evolve into life? And this this man, Richard Dawkins, admitted that well, no one knows. We don't know that, he said. But he said his best guess is that alien creatures, this is the foremost authority, scientists in the world, he said that alien creatures billions of years ago came and planted living cells on the planet Earth. Wow. I mean, you must be kidding. I, I, I woke up the next morning, and uh, I, I, I said, surely that was a dream. He, he really didn't admit that. 
you know, but, but, but anyway, as absurd as this theory is, this theory has become a stronghold in American life. Why? Because it eliminates the need for accountability. It eliminates the need for, uh, in their mind, for God. There is no God. I am my own God. The very temptation that Adam and Eve fell into in Genesis chapter 3. You can be your own God. Charles Spurgeon, 150 years ago, said, right as evolution was starting to um, get popular, he said, oh, this, is only gonna, this won't last 25 years. Of course, he was a wonderful, wonderful, mighty man of God, but boy, was he off on that one. Why he underestimated man's uh, willingness to grab onto anything to get out from underneath accountability to God. A 50-foot high, 20-foot wide stronghold in the hearts and lives of the American people. Without God, we'll define marriage any way we want. We'll define when human life begins any way we want. We'll define what sexual practices are normal. We, not God, or the Word of God, will define what is normal. Strongholds. Humanistic and evolutionary thinking is one kind of stronghold. And, and there are others, the whole Hollywood sex thing, so entrenched in our society, so much a part of American life. Everywhere you go, every, everywhere you, uh, you look, it's a stronghold. And, and you look at it and say, wow, this is just so entrenched. It has such a grip over people's heart. It, it's a stronghold. And, and, and what comes along with that particular stronghold? Teenage pregnancy, millions of children, be, children being raised by their mothers without their fathers, uh, the breakdown of the family, and with the breakdown of the family comes crime, suicide, depression. And, and, and so a stronghold. The stronghold of materialism, the worship of things, the worship of uh, prosperity, even if it means killing the life of unborn children, if that's going to get in the way of my prosperity, even if it means closing my eyes to poverty and suffering, if that is going to uh, uh, get in the way of me being as prosperous as I can possibly be, these are strongholds. And so a man or woman who's born again, who's a child of God by faith in Christ, they, the veil of ignorance and unbelief is lifted. They start looking around. They see all these strongholds. Strongholds of darkness, of evil. And they, and they ask themselves, how, do I, how am I supposed to respond to this? What am I supposed to do? Well, let me tell you what we should never do. Let me tell you how you should never respond. Let me tell you what, what I never want Calvary Chapel in the city doing and resp- uh, responding in this way. I never want our church to say, uh, to look at the world through, all, uh, through our spiritual eyes and say, man, look at all these strongholds. 
Uh, Look at our schools. They've taken over the media. They've taken over the airwaves. We need to run for cover. I mean, we need to find some cave and hide out and just wait till Jesus comes. You know, oh, Jesus, please, you know, you have to come now. The world is burning up around us, and if you don't come now, we're going to get burned up too. Please, Jesus. There's this 50-foot-high walls of fortresses, and they're coming against us, and, 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 and Lord, please help. I do not want to respond in that incredibly unbiblical way, but which is a a response that's so common in the church. Let's just bunker up somewhere and wait for Jesus. Jesus is coming, but not necessarily in the time that you might think he's going to come, and in the meantime, you and I need to be busy about his business. And if we react that way, let's run for cover and hide out and just wait for Jesus to come, guess what's going to happen? This church will become irrelevant, it'll become fruitless, it'll become weak and anemic, and God will take the lampstand which he has so graciously given us, and he'll give it to another. So what is our response supposed to be? Our response is when we see these strongholds, we're supposed to go and pull them down. That's what the verse says. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Verse 5, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Yes, it's true that there are a lot of high things that are exalting themselves against the knowledge of God in this city. Strongholds, but guess what? God has given you the weapons to pull them down. He's given you the weapons, verse 4 says, that are not carnal, meaning they're not of the flesh, they're not of man, meaning they're not shallow and ineffective and powerless weapons that man goes about using to, to try to deal with the evils of society, and he never succeeds. They are what? Verse 5, mighty in God. Actually, verse 4, mighty in God. That's what these weapons are like. The Bible says that God is a consuming fire. God doesn't lose. He never loses. Proverbs 21.30 says there's no wisdom, no insight, no plan. No wisdom, no insight, no plan. Whip, God's whip, that can succeed against the Lord. Isaiah 43.13 says when I work, God speaking, when I work, who can reverse it? No one can. He's God. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 says that you and I have weapons that are mighty in God to pull down strongholds. Not only that, we've been given these weapons together with a promise. And the promise has come from the lips of Jesus himself. Matthew 16. 
Peter speaking, I mean, Jesus speaking to Peter, I say to you, Peter, on this rock. Who is the rock? The rock is Jesus. Peter just de- declared. Jesus, Jesus had asked, who do people say that I am? Or who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, that's not a defensive thing. That's an offensive thing. When Jesus removes the veil from our eyes and hearts and we see these strongholds of darkness in our city, in our country, in our family and friends, in in the lives of our family and friends, we take action. Men and women uh, who are, uh, have been saved by Jesus are, are, are people of action. They go out into the world. They don't hide from the world. We come against the strongholds with weapons that are mighty in God. And, and what does Jesus say? We're supposed to go in and kick in the gate of the stronghold, which Jesus says will not prevail against us. And then we pull it down. We pull the stronghold down. That's what the... Uh, word of God says that we're supposed to do and so that is why we are in the projects down the street setting up Bible clubs that's why we are going into Haiti and we're purchasing a house uh, which is uh, right now moving to completion to put an orphanage in that's why we're going to Peru Uh, to the villages there, to build a church and a school where prostitution there is rampant. Uh, And and, and the kids' lives are are just being uh, destroyed. That's why we go every day into our jobs, our schools, and our families. Brothers and sisters, we're not doing that for our, uh, just living out our lives for our own livelihood. We're not, uh, we are not our own. The Bible says we were bought at a price. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, Jesus died for all that those who live should live, not, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And that's you and me. We are the body of Christ. And that's, the, that's what the word of God says. And we have been equipped to do his work. What is his work? To destroy the works, the strongholds of the enemy. 1 John 3.8 For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Again, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So I'm hoping that as I've been speaking this morning, you've started to wonder, you've started to question. So exactly what are these questions? Or or these, what are these weapons? What are they? And what's the difference between a carnal weapon and a godly weapon? What is Paul talking about when he talks about a weapon that is mighty in God? What is that? Oops, get this a little closer. All right, people are making motions at me. Am I okay? Someone want to come up and help me? Is that okay? Is that okay? All right, I'm getting thumbs up. When Paul talks about warring according to the flesh, 
he is referring to how the world battles when it sees sort of the evils and the sufferings and the problems in our society. When Paul talks about carnal weapons, or the word carnal means fleshly, earthly, worldly. When he talks about a worldly weapon, he's referring to the methods that the world uses to combat the problems of the day. So for example, take one example. Uh, teenage pregnancy and the proliferation, the skyrocketing number of, of, of kids being uh, raised by single moms. So the world looks at that and it, 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 and it uses... What this says, it, it combats it, it wars against it with what? Government programs, uh, uh, education, passing out condoms, hiring workers to counsel mothers, helping out with child care and, and, and this type of thing. And, and, but none of these things are wrong in of themselves, but, but those methods have failed miserably. Miserably in this country, we have only seen teenage pregnancies go up, not down, uh, because of these programs, these, these carnal, these worldly kind of responses. Paul says we don't use carnal weapons, we don't war according to the flesh, we use weapons that are mighty in God. So what are these mighty in God weapons? What are they? that we're supposed to wage war with. Well, there are four of them. I'm only going to be able to talk really about one this morning and that briefly, but I'll, I'll, I'll be spending, again, a, f- a few Sundays on this. But there's four weapons, if you're taking notes, supremely, that are mighty in God and that are weapons that are completely different than the weapons that the world uses to combat these issues of life. The first weapon is truth. The second weapon is love. I'm not talking about that sappy, slushy Hollywood love. I'm talking about that love that Jesus talks about that rather than being the greatest, you're willing to become the least. The third weapon is righteousness. The fourth weapon is faith and prayer. And so we see a man or woman or even a society with all kind of, with the kind of strongholds that look impregnable. They look indestructible. They look impenetrable. The first weapon that is mighty in God that we use is what? It's truth. What is truth? Who is truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when someone comes into the church and they ask for counsel, and they say, my marriage is falling apart. There's no point. It's completely on the rocks. It's irreconcilable. There's no way I can, this thing can be repaired. What is your counsel for me? Such an, this is where we always start. Have you given your heart and mind and life to Jesus Christ? If a person comes in and they're living in the middle of financial ruins, The first issue that I deal with, that we deal with in their lives, is, and we ask them, have you given your heart and mind and life 
to Jesus Christ. If someone comes in with an addiction, at least once a month, someone comes in with an addiction that is just completely ruling their life, what am I supposed to do, Pastor? The very first issue that must be reckoned with in their life. Have you given your life, your heart, and your mind to Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't, you have no power to get out of this thing that you have found yourself in. If you haven't given your life and mind to to Jesus Christ, I have some bad news for you. If you don't, it'll never get any better than what you have been experiencing. You know, I've talked to people who want to, have been thinking about committing suicide. And the first thing I I, I say to them is, well, what about Jesus? Because if you don't give your life to Jesus, You're just going to be thinking that for the rest of your life because the life that, that, that what you're looking for, the pleasure of life, the happiness of life, is never going to come your way without Him. I am the way, the truth, and the life that Jesus, Jesus says that. No man comes to the Father but by me. They have to settle the matter. So what, are, what is the mighty in God weapon that we have to combat strongholds not only in the life of an individual but in the life of a city a city whose heart has hardened to all kinds of strongholds are we going to go head to head with them and try to argue fine points no that's failed miserably we need to get behind the philosophy, the arguments, and go right to their hearts. Their hearts need Jesus. The Bible says that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. And all their evolutionary thinking will never satisfy that. Or their culture of sex or their culture of prosperity is not going to satisfy their most basic need. God's put eternity in the hearts of man. That means that every man and woman knows That they are eternal beings. That there is eternity and that there's a God. Only God can fill that vacuum. So how do we come against strongholds? We get behind all the fluff, the exterior arguments, and we go to their hearts. Have you given your heart to Jesus? Your heart is in rebellion against God. You've lived your life uh, as every human being has ever lived since Adam and Eve uh, for self. You've had yourself on the throne. God wants your heart. Are you going to give it to him? That is the mighty in God weapon that you use to pull down strongholds. Now this Saturday at 11 a.m. our church is holding an open wedding ceremony. By the way, I think the 
bulletin was wrong last week on the time. It's 11 a.m. We're having an open wedding c- ceremony at Cambridgeport Baptist Church, where James Hopper and Lori Proctor uh, will be married. And we don't normally announce something like this, but in this particular case, uh, this is more than a wedding ceremony, and that's why I'm announcing it. It's a celebration of Jesus Christ who has destroyed the works of the devil in their lives. When James showed up at the church five years ago, was it five years? Close enough. He was homeless, as he was for about the first year he attended the church. When he showed up, James was not altogether there. James was not altogether, altogether. And he was certainly one of those people who came in and... He sought out counsel, and that, you know, by the end of the conversation, I'm like, this guy has a fortified city like few I've ever seen before. It's the history of, of drugs and just all kinds of other stuff. When Lori came four years ago, is that good enough? She had been for years and years and years under, under heroin addiction. And worse, all the stuff or many of the stuff that goes along with that life, of supporting that life. And you talk to her at the time and, and, and you know, even when she, she showed up, it was, there's a fortified city here. There are 50-foot-high walls. There are walls that are 20 feet thick. But the Word of God, just having its effect in their lives, it's pulling down the stronghold. It's a celebration of the victory of Jesus. You know, someday we'll get them both up here to give their testimony, but within six months from being homeless, he left the Pine Street Inn after about a year, went to work at Stop and Shop. Within six months, he was managing uh, you know, uh, uh, managing one of the groups there at Stop and Shop. Within two and a half years or something, he was managing 50 to 75 people. And, and uh, we've seen the same kind of restoration in the Lord's life. Now, what does the world do with its carnal weapons with people like that? 
Oh, you know, you go to a methadone clinic. You know, or here's some medication sort of to deal with you for the rest of your life. Or here's some therapy. Or here's a group that you can, an overcomer's group uh, that you can go to. And all it is is lifetime bondage and a survival method so that somehow, maybe, they can reach the average life of an American and go to the grave just surviving. But the abundant normal life, forget it. That's the best that the world can do. But God goes right around that and he goes right to the heart and he circumcises, he turns it upside down, he washes it by the washing, by the regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. Until we have an open wedding ceremony, you're welcome to attend. The directions are in the bulletin. It's a celebration of the victory that Jesus has. And it's also a demonstration and just one example, one small example of who we are to be as Christians and what our approach is when we look out and we see those strongholds of darkness. Yes, our, when the veil is taken off of our eyes and hearts, we see the wonderful works of God opens up a whole new life we'll also see those strongholds, those strongholds of evil in people's lives and in society. Do we run for cover? Of course not. We go, uh, we go right at them. And front and center, who's there? What's our weapon? What's the mighty and God weapon? It's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the fact, Lord, that you didn't hold on to your son. But you sent him. And Lord Jesus, you didn't consider equality with the Father something to be held on to. But as your word says, you made yourself nothing. You took on the appearance of a man. You died for our sin, was, were raised for our justification and that we might have life and have it to the full. We thank you for that, Lord. Father, I just pray for every man, woman, and child here. I pray for us. God, that you'll break us and you'll make us and you'll mold us. And the men and women, Lord, who do not shrink back who do not run for cover, who do not hide from the world, but go into the world and love it even as you've loved us, Lord, even as you died for us. And God, we thank you.
We thank you for your word that says that you will complete that which you've started in us, Lord. We need your grace, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please rise for the uh, a closing worship song.
God bless you as you're dismissed. And uh, um, if you need prayer, there'll be a couple of people up front to pray with you.